Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Alex Pearson from On Point. Today on our podcast, Blacklock Reporting finds hundreds of millions of dollars given to a former liberal MP to buy and produce ventilators that haven't even been approved. How does that happen? We'll also speak with Professor Amir Adaran about Trudeau's inability to secure any vaccines yet, even though his government is pretty much saying, yeah, we've got them on the go. We don't. And of course, a big historic day in the sports world with a number of leagues now boycotting games in support of Black Lives Matter. Is it a movement or is it a moment? We will discuss this and more. Let's get to it. on Global News Radio. The federal government is investing up to $2 billion in school safety for the coming year. This money, which will flow through the new Safe Return to Class Fund, will help keep students and teachers safe as schools reopen. Better late than never, or maybe it's all by design to shore up votes. Alex Pearson with you on what has been a nutty, cuckoo, crazy Wednesday, August 26th. And uh, the big mistake of my day is just eating an almond before coming to air. And I'm not sure how it's going to go, but if I start choking profusely, you know what happened. Uh, but it has been like the, it's been the kind of day that no matter what lineup I put forward, no matter what show I kind of put out there, whatever I booked, I just had to keep throwing it out. Shows keep going out the window. Because, hey, it's 2020. Headlines all day long. That, of course, the Trudeau headline. Oh, I'll get to that. But the big headline in sports right now, the Orlando Magic uh, boycotting their playoff game against the Lakers. They're the first team to do so uh, since the shooting of uh, Jacob Blake. They just didn't. They just didn't show up. The other team was on the court, the Lakers practicing, and they just did not show up. And I suspect this is just the start. Because headlines are going across on all sorts of things happening in the sports world. And right now there's a meeting with all the players and the NBA, all of the players. And they're going to decide next moves. And of course, the Raptors have been talking about boycotting tomorrow's playoff game against the Celtics uh, for a couple of days now. I, I, let, I think it's safe to say this is not going to be a one-team move. But it's historic. Whether you like sports or not or agree with it or not, it is historic. But will it lead to the change they are demanding. Does it solve anything? Because when you you look out, you know, look at what's going on stateside. I mean, it is incredible. Some of the pictures. It is starting to look like a civil war. I mean, people joke about that. My sister and brother in law, they live in the U.S. and and, and they, they don't even joke about it anymore. They they say it's coming. The, the tension there is so bad. You know, and now we've got this white seventeen year old charged with killing two people at the protests in Shinoka. The pictures coming out of that are crazy seeing this kid just walk down the street with a gun like he doesn't have a care in the world. So that's going to add to the tensions. But 
These are very wealthy, very powerful, rich basketball players. But are they the change makers? Because the knee did not do it for Colin Kaepernick. It just kind of became a memory. But does this become um, a stunt for change or does it get forgotten in time? I mean, let's remember the last time a basketball player got political. I was just uh, looking at some of the headlines. LeBron James, remember? He weighed into the whole Hong Kong issue and supported the protesters, which he was right to do. And then he apologized to China, which was not the right thing to do. And um, that wasn't such a good look. But I, I do think they, they will a lot of power. And we'll see what, what it um, brings. We will, of course, talk about that throughout the show. But the, the big story, of course, is education. Because the prime minister came to town opening up his big magic money bag so kids and parents can feel safe going back to school. Now, of course, the timing's very suspect. Uh, we've got two weeks before school opens. And... Nothing in politics is ever by accident, especially when you're right in Doug Ford's backyard and you didn't invite him. So here's the down and dirty how it all kind of measures out. Trudeau's giving a $2 billion funding package to all the provinces to split up. So Ontario's going to get $760 bucks of it, $380 million now, and then another $380 million in the new year. As I understand for now, $70 million, according to Ford, will be used to hire new teachers. And apparently it doesn't buy much, which is sad. $30 million for more protective wear and anything else schools need. But, you know, the question I ask myself, why now? Why not weeks ago? Why not months ago when the boards and trustees were begging, begging all levels of government for money? When the protests were happening, when everyone was screaming? Well, because nothing's accidental. And Trudeau, who came out today, and he reminded many, many times of when he was a school teacher, that uh, he just didn't want parents and kids to lose any more sleep. Over the past week or so, I've heard from so many Liberal MPs, so many parents across the country who are still extremely worried about how that uh, reopening is going to go. Now, we've seen the provinces put forward plans for that reopening, uh, and you know they are confident that they're doing uh, what is necessary, but parents were still concerned. So uh, we said, let's give the provinces even more resources to be able to do everything that is necessary to keep our kids safe. Mm -hmm. So here's how this goes. Prime Minister's office, which polls all the time on these issues, they took a look at the numbers, certainly in a place like Ontario, and with Parliament shut down, no opposition in the way to slow him down, and oh, I don't know, maybe a possible election in the air. Uh, Trudeau knows he can capitalize big time on this very issue. So I think it's very political, but it's also a very smart strategy. But it's really crass because he's using this pandemic as an opportunity to give out huge chunks of money and shore up support um, while campaigning on our dime. Isn't that nice? Otherwise, because there's a lot of people saying, that's not true. He wouldn't do that. Well, okay. Well, he could simply have cut a check to the provinces and he didn't. He specifically and very purposefully went into vote-rich Toronto where the unions and the paid parent groups and, well, everything's red here, and he announced it at a school, speaking as, again, reminding us, he was a teacher. So don't for a moment think that this wasn't specific. Otherwise, he'd have done it in Ottawa outside of his cottage where he's done every other announcement. But he wanted to know that he's a concerned dad and that uh, stressed-out parents can count on him. 
What we realized when we saw the level of anxiety and preoccupation that parents across the country had still even with those plans in place, we realized that we could give the provinces even more resources. Some of it uh, could go forward right away. Uh, some of it uh, might be able to help out if there's a second wave uh, later in, uh, in the fall. Well, there you go. Well, as I say, the anxiety uh, parents have been feeling over school has been going on for months. So, you know, pardon my cynicism on this very um, spur of the moment act of generosity. Because while most people will say there is no way the throne speech is going to be voted down, I mean, let's be honest, if the polls have Trudeau out in front in September by a healthy margin, then you can bet he will make sure that it is and will head into an election. And what will he be remembered for? He saved the day on education and gave us billions and made our kids safe. He will be the hero to all, elected in all ridings, 416. I mean, that's how I'm seeing it. Nonetheless, okay, we got the money. Is it going to be enough? No, 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 of course not, because the unions are calling it a starting point. Really? I mean, the black hole apparently can never be too deep for them to demand more. As for the premier, uh, who was not really consulted on this, uh, who the unions hate no matter what, uh, he made it pretty clear today. He was very thankful, and he's not going to look this gift horse in the mouth. Why does Ontario even need that money if Ontario indeed has the best plan in the country? Why wouldn't we? You know, he, he's, when I met the Prime Minister on Friday, he asked me, uh, you know, about the uh, going back to school plan, and I, I explained it to him, and I, I said, we're all in this together. Uh, we need all levels of, of support. We need the federal government, the provincial government, and, and uh, the school board, school trustees, and the teachers' unions all on board. And this just enhances the, the plan that we have. And I stand by it. We have the safest and the most cautious plan in the entire country. All right. So what does this mean now? I mean, what, what does this mean for the boards? Uh, does this mean delays for the school start? I mean, it could. But there's also the other side of this. The province laid out its plans for how they're going to deal with COVID outbreaks once kids go back to school. And they've set up a whole plan parents are going to be very, very involved. In fact, a lot of it falls on to us, uh, but it's complicated. The good news is I did not choke again on my almond. Bloody miracle. All right, let's dig into some of the headlines where we often find stories that are very much buried by the noise, and they should not be. And Blacklock's reporting does do that digging and manages to find some real doozies. And Tom Korski joining us now. He's the managing editor of Blacklock's reporting. And um, this is a story that you guys have been uh, profiling now for a while. It involves a former Quebec Liberal MP, Frank Bayliss. He did one served uh, term. And boy, he's done very well by this government. He was awarded, or a company that he, um, I guess a medical company that he's associated with, got a quarter billion dollars to buy 10,000 pandemic ventilators. And uh, an additional research money of $422,000. And these ventilators have not even been approved in any jurisdiction. How the heck did he get the funding if none of this is approved? It was interesting, uh, Alex. Uh, Bayless Medical Company of Montreal, Frank Bayless, former MP chairman, uh, received the contract for these Bayless ventilators uh, in April. And they were approved by the Department of Health two months later. 
just on June 17th. So that worked out. The question we had was the cost of those ventilators. So the uh, general contractor was paid uh, to provide through the subcontractor, Frank Bayless, these 10,000 ventilators. The unit cost works out to almost $24,000 a piece. And we asked the general contractor, well, are you throwing in a few a free Buick with every ventilator? I mean, these are machines typically mm-hmm. sell for a thousand to five thousand dollars a piece. Uh, didn't get a reply. He didn't. He didn't respond to questions. And uh, Frank Bayless has been unavailable for comment. But uh, the recessions worked out for Bayless Medical. Apparently, I mean, um, you know, they apparently did the very high end version of the ventilator. I mean, I have other issues with this beyond that is a, are they going to be available once we um, you know need them? But, you know, there is a cooling off period for MPs, for politicians, you know, once they leave politics, they're supposed to kind of put some distance from themselves. And it doesn't appear that that has happened. It just kind of seems like he kept his hand in, uh, in government the whole time. In the case of the, research contract that he received from the Department of Industry, remember that word, industry, that was signed uh, just a few days before Christmas last December. But Frank had just left Parliament in October. He didn't seek re-election. As you point out, the Conflict of Interest Act does mandate a one-year cooling-off period for any public office holder, that would be Frank, in dealing with uh, any federal department or agency which with you uh, with which you had significant business. Frank used to be on what committee was it again? The Commons Industry Committee. <laughs> he was on the Industry Committee, and he left. And a few weeks later, his company got this four hundred and twenty thousand plus research contract with the Department of Industry. So once again, twenty twenty, pretty good year for Frank Bayless. Hey, it helps to have friends in all the right places. But um, just uh, to kind of put a circle around this square, I mean, these ventilators were purchased, but they're not approved. So uh, should we need them in a maybe second round of this thing? Are they going to be available? Uh, presumably, we can't see the contract, so we don't know what delivery terms are. But Health Canada, uh, two months after they <laughs> awarded Frank's uh, a, a subcontractor, the the work, they then did approve them. Mm-hmm. So I guess they're pretty good, as you mentioned, really boss ventilators okay. at about the equivalent of $23,000 a piece. Well, I'm, I'm thinking that this story is not yet done because as everything else we've purchased and uh, procured, it's either broken, not delivered, or it's uh, made in China. Um, Let's talk about the paid pandemic leave because it's actually staggering. A quarter of a million uh, federal employees, we're talking 83% of staff, either uh, they they were not sick, uh, but they worked from home once the pandemic hit at a cost of $828 million. But the PBO, that's the parliamentary watchdog, says it's likely a very underestimated number. Some frustration from the budget office, Alex. They say they will simply not. This is the parliamentary budget office. This is an officer of parliament who works with the taxpayers of the country. He says he cannot get straight goods from all departments on agencies. Very simple question. How many and how much? And so he is now doing rolling estimates, seeking monthly updates. The, the, the costs are 
staggering, as you mentioned, now over $800 million for federal employees who were paid to stay home. As an MP said, they were paid not to work. They are not sick. They are not working from home. Why would they do that, you ask? There were issues like child care. The Treasury Board issued a special directive. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, special times, special circumstances. And it appears that there were a lot of federal employees, over a quarter million, who had those special circumstances. Mm-hmm. But this is, you're coming close now to a billion-dollar expenditure for lost work time at public expense, and no one gets this. No, no, no. I can tell you, those of us in the private sector, and there are many of us, myself included, did not uh, get any special accommodation, and we have kids. We also didn't get a $500 chair offered to us uh, to work out of home. It's so staggering, Tom, when you when, when I think when we look back at these numbers of the waste, and it's not about the need, but the waste of this pandemic for federal, uh, you know, public sector employees is going to make people just vomit. And, uh, you know, we got to pay for this, but you know, now I know who was watching the Netflix and bacon bread all day because it it wasn't a lot of people in the private sector. Just quickly want to touch on this one. Uh, Finance minister, Bill Morneau, ding taxpayers, 80 grand for pre pandemic travel. Um, you know, this is a guy who spent 1166 bucks for a two night stay at the Ritz Carlton in uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, Bev Oda got canned over a $16 orange juice. It was sort of a farewell (laughs) from, from Bill to the taxpayers of Canada. Uh, yeah, $81,000 and, uh, all these bills were submitted. Um, just from the period from July, uh, uh, January 1st, uh, and of course he just resigned. Um, it was interesting. There was one oddity. Uh, he had a G7 meeting in France uh, last July. Uh, went early, uh, came home late, charged the airfare. We think he stayed at that famous villa that he's got near Marseille. And it was just, it was a, it was a happier time. <laughs> he forgot about yeah apparently it never it never ends it's just that now people don't lose their jobs over it well he did for the other stuff but all right tom we will uh, look forward to what you guys dig up next i think thank you thank you alex thank you very much black locks reporting they're subscription based but you get your money's worth you'll find out how much you're being ripped off in fact all the time So the prime minister was asked where Canada stands when it comes to securing vaccines. And according to the prime minister, we've got all sorts of things in the works and all sorts of research being done and we're in good shape, except there's a McLean's piece, which lays out all the facts that while the scientists are, you know, speeding full steam ahead on vaccine development, the Trudeau government's been dragging its feet in securing vaccines. And because of this, we will be at the back of the line to countries that did, in fact, act quickly, and we'll get it ahead of us. Amir Adaran is a professor of law and medicine at the University of Ottawa. He's also trained in immunology, and he's also the author of this McLean's piece that's getting an awful lot of attention. Uh, Good to have you, Professor. Hi, Alex. So the, the Prime Minister was asked about this based on your particular article, and we've talked about this weeks ago on the show about where we stand with vaccines, and the, the country would believe that we're in good shape, and the Prime Minister would like us to believe we are in good shape. And you say what? 
Well, we're not in good shape. And Alex, you know, all credit to you for being on this story very early on. But little has changed since we last spoke. Canada has not signed a purchase agreement and placed an order for any vaccine yet. That is the fact. And before McLean's published that piece, we did ask the government if they could confirm any purchase of vaccine, any number of doses, what is the price? And they did not. So I think that's the truth of the matter. Um, to hear the Prime Minister say we have all sorts of balls in the air and Canada's in the lead for vaccines is just abjectly false. He's not telling the truth. And, and the headlines uh, will have you believe, though, you know, that Canada has signed two deals to purchase millions of doses, and that's what Canadians read. And then they walk away thinking, we're good. Um, but the reality is, and we are all just waiting for this vaccine. I mean, what are we looking at as far as, you know, a timeline it, it, based on, on your, um, you know, findings? Well, it's hard to know because the government's very coy. When the government announced the two deals, supposedly, that they have, one with Pfizer and one with Moderna, two different manufacturers of vaccines, the government said that the agreements were for pursuing a purchase. Now, that's a weasel word. To say you're pursuing a purchase is different than saying you've made a purchase. And when we put it to the government, which purchase was made, they are unable to say that they have made one. How long will this go on is anybody's guess. But the longer it goes on, here is what is happening. Other countries have confirmed purchases of vaccines. They've paid the money they've got on the order list. That means the United States, the United Kingdom, 27 countries of the European Union, Australia, and I could go on and on. All those countries have made firm purchases. We have not. And so the longer we wait on it, the further and further back we slip in the line. And you have to understand that when this vaccine does become available, everyone will want it. There will be supply shortages. And being at the back of the line is not a good place to be. No, it's it's not. Um, essentially, the, the government is basically, uh, it's kind of like saying, I'm going to pick up at the bar tonight, but uh, haven't quite scored that date, but I'll get back to you. And I think people are being lulled into this um, because the words sound good. They just don't read through the spin. But in your piece in McLean's, which I urge people to read because it's really quite detailed on vaccine availability, who's doing what and what will be available in timelines, you also point out what you feel is a, a um, I wouldn't say obsession is the right word, but it's like they're determined that it must be a Canadian um, discovery. And this is a real problem. Rather than the, the health ministry being in charge of getting a vaccine for us, and that is who you'd expect. You'd expect this to be the Minister of Health's job. Trudeau has put the Minister of Industry in charge. And that ministry has selected a number of people on a vaccine advisory task force. The meetings of that task force are secret, but what we know is that a significant number of the members have links or, you know, some of them even actively to the vaccine industry. 
This is now, for the Trudeau government, it appears, a project of developing an industry in Canada for a vaccine. But that really is not what we need right now. And I say that because elsewhere in the world, there are seven, count them, seven vaccines in the last final stage of clinical trials. All the Trudeau government has been able to catalyze through the domestic industry is one company that has a vaccine that hasn't even finished the first stage of clinical trials and won't finish until April of next year, meaning their last stage is probably in 2022. If we, if we want to wait that long for a vaccine, okay, then I suppose the strategy that's being adopted makes some sense. But the rest of the world will get it sooner than that. They'll get it sometime this winter. I mean, look, I'm all about Canada, make can you know, make Canada, you know, products. I'm all about that. But when it comes to a vaccine, I mean, the smart strategy would be if we can make it in Canada and be first terrific. But in the meantime, make sure you've got, uh, you know, a backup plan. And, and what you're saying is we don't have that. That's right. So if you look at the United Kingdom, for example, they are probably going to be the first to develop a successful vaccine. It's, it's people from Oxford University who had a vaccine ready 20 days after COVID was discovered. Astonishing. Now, I must, mm. I must disclose, I graduated from Oxford, so you know, I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea that I'm promoting it for that reason. I'm promoting it because they likely will be the first to get a product out, hopefully by the end of this year. And they're doing it in collaboration with a British company called AstraZeneca, one of the world's biggest pharmaceutical companies. That sort of British effort looks lovely, but the Brits also, considering that they might fail, have purchased five other vaccines from other countries for their population. Look at us, though. We have no domestic manufacturing effort. We have no domestic discovery effort. We don't have what the British did there. And we have zero deals with other companies to supply us, other countries to supply us. That's how far behind we are. Well, you know, the we scandal, and it is a scandal, and it, it's, it's worthy of discussion for sure. But um, for all the attention paid to we, um, I, I, you know, I will um, go out on a limb here and say that if this proves true once a vaccine's developed, um, you know, this is the kind of stuff that should bring a government down without question, uh, the lack of preparedness. And, and it could. I mean, pandemics have toppled governments throughout history, haven't they? There have been revolutions because of pandemic disease. I'm not saying that needs to happen here. I'm also not saying we need to fail. There is one way I can see out of this mess, and that would be if the federal government would negotiate with AstraZeneca or some of the other vaccine makers to produce their product in Canada using equipment that we have in Canada. If we could get a license to manufacture our own supply mm -hmm. from the inventors, that does two things. It helps us build the capacity in vaccine manufacturing in Canada, which would be great. But it also means that because we're responsible for our own supply, we're not at the back of the queue. Right. And well, I haven't seen yeah. government do that yet. No, I mean, we haven't seen them do much. Uh, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors going on. But nonetheless, uh, the piece is in McLean's, written by Professor Amir Adharan. 
it is a sobering read, but it is well worth your time if you want to understand the issue that is going on and not actually being talked about. Maybe it will get that now. Professor, I appreciate your time always. Thank you. Thanks so much, Alex. You don't have to be in uh, sports or no sports to understand that uh, today is a historic day in sports because it all started with the Milwaukee Bucks uh, boycotting their game five against the Magic. And this is in response to the shooting of Jacob Blake, who was killed in their home state. But they're the first to act, and I don't think they're going to be the last. The Raptors have been, of course, talking for a couple of days now about boycotting their game against the Celtics uh, tomorrow. And there is a meeting, as uh, Darren mentioned in the news right now, whether the league, uh, you know, between the league and all the players. But um, after we heard about this first move, then we heard Major League Baseball announced it was canceling tonight's games. And then the NHL announced... Well, they, didn't, they don't do much. They never kind of get involved in these things, but they would pause before tonight's game to reflect. So what happens now? I mean, uh, the Raptors have issued a statement in full support saying that this is the only way to shine a light on racial injustice, and they're demanding accountability and change. Let's bring in Rick Zamprin, uh, sports director over at our sister station in Hamilton, Global News Radio Hamilton. Hello, Rick. Hey, Alex. How are you? Well, you know, I'm not in sports. So I've been trying to keep up on the headlines, and uh, I'll stick to news because there's so much news breaking in sports that it's hard to, to to keep up with who's doing what and who's boycotting uh, what. So where are we at right now with, with the boycott? I mean, the NBA is meeting right now. Um, where is this going? Yeah, so right now as we speak, there's a league-wide. Everybody who's in the bubble, at least all the players who are in the bubble, are on a Zoom call with league officials to determine, you know, what is next? The Milwaukee Bucks, as you mentioned, so were the first team to say uh, thanks but no thanks. We're, we're going to boycott today's game against the Orlando Magic. Uh, just moments ago, the players uh, from Milwaukee, after spending three hours in the locker room after the game was canceled, uh, came out and made a statement saying that they want some change. They want social justice to occur. Uh, but they've also called the Wisconsin legislature to, to come back. They've been basically on pause since COVID-19 erupted, but to come back and, uh, you know, institute some change. And some of that also includes charges against the officers involved in uh, the shooting of Jacob Blake over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the next step in terms of what happens on the court remains to be seen. And, and that will obviously come out of today's meeting. But, you know, the Raptors play Boston tomorrow in, in game one of their second round series. The two other NBA games that were on tap tonight were canceled. The Milwaukee Brewers have canceled their game in Major League Baseball, as you mentioned, uh, and the NHL, you know, missed opportunity once again for the National Hockey League. It seems like the NBA and, and baseball are at the forefront of this movement, or at least at the forefront of supporting this movement. And the NHL, again, just appears to be tone deaf. Instead of holding a, a you know a moment of reflection, they should have said, hey, you know what, we're going to join our brethren in the other leagues and, and support, uh, you know, this important call. So the next step could be um, that tomorrow's games will be canceled and maybe even Friday's games and maybe they return on the weekend. Or the alternative is, uh, you know, the bubble gets burst and the players say, you know, we don't want to play. We don't want to continue the season or, or, or continue the playoffs. And away they go. I don't think that is going to happen because, you know, yes, they're in this bubble format. They're not in their hometowns, their families, at least, the teams that are still going to be in contention for the Larry O'Brien Trophy, their families are going to be able to visit them this weekend. So we'll have a you know a sense of that home front there. But is the league going to continue to go? My gut says, yeah, because they're going to use that bubble, this platform that they have to continue that message. 
Right. If they leave the bubble and they leave the platform, then the message goes away. I mean, they have all eyes on them now, and they're a lot more powerful now uh, with all eyes on them than they are if they just disband and go their separate ways. That That is when the headlines, I think, uh, will fade away. Um, but sports boycotts are not new. I mean, we've seen them over history. Obviously, the Olympics, uh, there's been many, many, many. Uh, there's been boycotts in tennis um, and lots against South Africa. Um, in fact, boycotts were one of the ways that apartheid came to an end, but it also took a long time. It didn't just happen overnight. And so I think, you know, they want change, but it's not going to happen overnight. And so you have to wonder what specifically will um, be the signal that, that they've caught everyone's attention. Yeah, it is a bit of a slippery slope because right now they're you know the, the players the players association is at its most powerful because they they hold the hammer in terms of you know whether or not this season is going to continue, but what happens in the days to come? Is there enough pressure that the players can exert on the owners and uh, the, the the sponsors of not only the you know the the TV deal that the NBA has, which is a very lucrative contract, but you know these billion dollar owners. Uh, will they be pressured to speak with legislators, to speak with attorney generals, to speak with law enforcement, to enact some kind of legislative change? Because really, at the end of the day, that's where it's really going to begin in terms of seeing some change. Um, not to say that's that's going to completely eliminate white police officers killing you know, unarmed black people, because my guess is it's still going to happen. But the penalty phase, what happens, you know, automatic charges, all that kind of stuff is on the table. And I think this is kind of the the starter's block of this marathon that uh, we're we're running right now. Right, right. The money talks. But as you say, um, it it will still continue because it it, it, change doesn't happen overnight. And not all circumstances are, are the same. And so, you know. How do you say this? I mean, there will still be killings of uh, people of color. Um, Not all will be without um, cause. Not all will. It's just not going to stop all night. And then you get into the argument of like, how can police be expected to do their job if they are not allowed um, at all any, you know, judgment of, of where they need to to use force? You know, it's not a black and white Maybe that's a bad um, way to phrase it, but it, it's not as simple as just saying, well, just don't shoot uh, people of color. Um, you know, it's always subjective. Exactly. And you took the words right out of my, right out of my mouth. There, there, you know, there's, there, there's still going to be a lot of gray area here. Uh, the penalties are going to be the penalties when these situations occur. And I think these players want to see more action. I think because no charges have been laid in the yeah. Jacob Blake shooting, I think that really prompted them to say, hey, wait a minute. You know, we just went through this three months ago with George Floyd, mm-hmm. Deonna Taylor, you know, the list goes on and on. We, we want to see something happen. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see where this goes uh, from here. And, you know, the, the Washington Redskins or the, the Washington football team, as they're known, they, 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 they dumped the Redskins name because of that public pressure, because of that sponsorship uh, dollars that were attached to that brand, you know, you know, billion dollar American corporation saying, you know, we need this change that really moved the needle. So maybe right. this will move the needle as well. Right. So, so change is happening then. I mean, it is, in fact, happening. The conversations are being had. Again, my concern with this is that everyone's going to expect it's going to be fixed overnight, just like mm-hmm. that, when it actually is going to take, I think, years and years, um, uh, you know, to, to, to actually change things. And the culture in the United States, certainly, uh, Rick, as you're seeing all the violence, I mean, I, it's never been as toxic and, um, you know, uh, just 
explosive as it is right now. I mean, a white kid now charged with uh, going into those protests last night and killing two people is not going to help the the issues that are, are plaguing that country. And so I don't think we're going to see change overnight. It's just a matter of what is going to, um, you know, get everyone working in the same direction and where people can actually say, yeah, we, we are actually moving the needle and, and accomplishing something. Uh, you know, America has seen 400 years of this, and there, there have been many pivotal moments. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., you know, Arthur Ashe from a sports perspective, Colin Kaepernick, obviously, um, you know, Tommy Smith, uh, you know, in, in the Olympics, all these all these uh, uh, issues and and shows of defiance in some cases, uh, but a show of solidarity in this case with the the, the NBA Players Association and. Uh, listen, if this is another, uh, you know, rung in the ladder to get us to where we want to be as a society, then amazing. Um, uh, it remains to be seen. But yeah, nothing is going to change tomorrow. Nothing will change next week or next month or maybe even a year from now. Uh, but maybe the, these these small incremental movements will finally get us years from now into a place where we're all at least a little bit happier. The other side of this, and it is business, so whether people like it or not, is that they are in, un, under contract and they are employees um, and they do work for an organization. So, you know, it puts owners in a very tricky point to say, OK, well, you kind of have to play because you've signed this piece of paper. Um, or are they are, are the players, you know, willing to say, fine, I don't want the check anymore. I'm out. I, you know, there's so many variables at play right now. Yeah, and that's, you know, the, the slippery slope as well, because you have, you know, I don't want to single anyone out, but you have a LeBron James or, you know, in Toronto, a Kyle Lowry, and they have yeah. millions of dollars in the bank and millions of dollars still forthcoming with future contracts. Not everyone is in that that same situation. I know being a pro athlete sometimes gets glossed over as, you know, all these multi-million dollar athletes. Some guys don't make those multi-million dollars, and maybe they're on their last contract or they're you know, they, they need that paycheck to make that you know, that big mortgage payment or that big car payment or whatever the case is. Not everyone is in that same boat and being, you know, well, well, well off. Uh, and I know I'm kind of, you know, singing the blues for, for pro athletes, and I shouldn't be, but not everyone is in the same boat. And some, some of these guys really need that paycheck to come in. Yeah. And so your feeling uh, tomorrow, Rick, is what, that they will play or that we will see a short-term boycott? I think no games tomorrow, and that includes Raptors and Celtics game one. And I, I, I don't think no games on Friday either. I think they reconvene mm. on the weekend. And, uh, you know, the messaging will still be front and center. Black Lives Matter still on the court. Uh, you know, players kneeling during the anthems, just, you know, spreading their message post-game and on off days. Uh, but, yeah, I think they reconvene on the weekend. Yeah, we'll wait and see. And you're right uh, with the George Floyd case. I mean, it, they, it took them so long to lay the charges. But once they did, it did bring calm. So uh, we'll wait and see what is happening uh, with that. And obviously, maybe some clarity coming out of the Attorney General's office at some point soon. Rick, I appreciate you joining us because uh, you're going to be busy. Your world's going to be busy, too, for a while. Any, anytime. Thanks, Alex. Thank you. That is Rick Zamprin joining us uh, from our sister station. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. The meeting is uh, ongoing right now with the NBA, and we'll uh, see what comes out of it. That is your podcast for today. You can hear us, of course, on Point Live Monday through Friday, 6.30 to 10. Join us. I'm Alex Pearson.